Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Yeah, that was a blast, man. You're, you're so I, so I got to ask just before we get into it and Joe, forgive me, uh, David and I are going to speak uh, Twitter for a minute. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're not new to Twitter, but you're new to Twitter. Is that correct? Yeah. I had a Twitter account. Uh, and I, and I blew it. I didn't do well. <laughs> I failed the Twitter test. What, what did you do? What was I your- let it get to me. I responded to people angrily and, Oh, uh, made statements that I shouldn't have. And so eventually I got thrown off of Twitter, which was a good thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, political disagreements and what have you. Let's not get into right. it. But I got thrown off of Twitter, which was a very good thing for a very long time. But recently yeah. I thought I'd rejoin. Uh, and then he made it so that everybody has to be verified, or at least no one believes you if you aren't. And you got to pay for the verification, which is oh, I, nobody believes you if you are now because now you can pay to yeah, be verified. Right. Is the because who would pay? So um, yeah, so I'm enjoying it. But it's kind of it's kind of so so uh, we I, uh, um, I it's weird to say like I, I've definitely always been a fan. It's not like I've got your poster or anything, and I haven't I haven't joined the club, uh, but I will oh. once I can save up the dues. But the um, you're one of those actors who like every time. I've seen the club and the club is bleak. <laughs> it's every, every time, every time you're in something, I'm like, Oh my God, you're just, you're one of those guys where it's like, I fucking love that guy. You're, you're, you can't be pinned down. Um, I also recently had a really depressing experience where I went back with my wife and I thought, let's watch that movie that came out a few years ago that we love added that there Adam's family values. And there you are and you're a child in it. And I suddenly realized that movie's like 60 years old and you know, it's, it's 30 years old. <laughs> It's insane. Um, and, and then you, uh, uh, and of course recently, I mean, like, let's, let's see if we can give this movie some help. Although I think it's too late, uh, in Oppenheimer, um, where, uh, tiny, tiny uh, movie called Oppenheimer. Yeah. 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 A little, little thing that, um, uh, very, very, uh, very sad. I, I had high hopes for that movie. Um, also you're in, uh, my friend, uh, Mitch Watson, who's been on the show, his show, uh, all hail King Julian. Yeah, I love being on that show's hilarious. And the Deuce. My God, the Deuce. I love the Deuce so much. Thank you. Not a lot of people watch the Deuce. So it's always it was nice. crazy to me that they were like using Game of Thrones style effects to resurrect uh, hmm. New York City of my youth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very authentic. They did an amazing job. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was astonishing, actually. Yeah. 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 And by the time you got to the end, it was just, it was devastating. But what happened recently, Joe, is I guess, so David, David came back to Twitter. And of course now it's impossible to be the worst person on Twitter, even if like you were terribly misbehaved because Twitter is just, just a cesspool. Cesspool, yeah. And, uh, which is amazing. And, um, uh, and you suddenly seemed to me, you crossed my consciousness just, just a couple of weeks ago. I was like, this guy's so goddamn funny. Um, he's just hilarious. I can't, Joe, you need to go on. You need to get whoever actually does your Twitter account to send you some of his tweets because they're, they're hilarious. Well, I've, come to realize, I've come to realize that the, uh, you know, I spent years pitching jokes for a while on Twitter. I thought, well, I'll just use it as a joke machine, you know, for myself, you know, I'll, I'll see how my humor flies. And what's great is now I'm, 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 
simply telling true stories about my life that I find to be absurd, but have actually occurred. And people seem to be eating it up, which is nice because it's all true. And I don't have to fabricate anything. I just tell the story. Wait, today's Brad Pitt story is true? And 180 characters or less. What? What's that? The, the problem is, Joe, they all seem like he's sitting around making these things. So the Brad Pitt story you uh, posted today is true? Totally true. You know, share, share it with Joe if you don't mind, and then we'll get into the, the meat of the thing. Okay. Well, I'll give context because within 180 characters, I wasn't able to. We were, right. we were shooting the Mexican uh, in a tiny um, mountain village called Real de Catorce in uh, a, a region of um, Mexico called San Luis Potosí, which is basically the poorest region of Mexico. It's southern Mexico. You wouldn't want to be caught dead there. Really, you wouldn't want to be caught alive there. And most likely you would be dead if you were there. And um, and yet there's this amazing little village 9,000 feet up in the mountains that was picturesque, and they decided to shoot the Mexican there. And the town was maybe 1,500 people at the most. And they decided one day to throw us a fiesta. They were, we had not only come in with money to shoot the film, but we built them a school. Um, the, the production built a school there. They were very grateful to us. So the sort of um, uh, un, unofficial mayor of the town threw a fiesta for us. And we went to the fiesta and, and it was us mingling with the, the people in this village. And there was a greased pig catching contest, which was unfortunate. And Brad Pitt and I were watching this go down. And we thought, well, this is not great because the pig, we felt bad for the pig. And so we, we walked away and we were walking away. And Brad Pitt had security detail. I mean, he had a, I believe, an Austrian sniper. No joke. And, uh, and a Swiss strongman. He had two guys. And they were nice. Wait, guys. I mean, but I have to know: was the sniper, you know, like half a mile away, keeping an eye on him, or was he walking? No, it him? made no sense. And also, <laughs> but they would do this thing where he would get in his, you know, GMC Durango or whatever it was, and they would hang off the sides of it. They were that serious with guns. They were very serious guys. Wow. Brad Pitt. Was Joe. Scared. Joe has those. Joe doesn't try, but he's got those guys. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm considering getting my own. But uh, anyway, um, one day we were, so we were at this fiesta and we're leaving the fiesta and everyone's drunk and a large drunk local comes up behind Brad Pitt and me and Brad's security team and just kind of violently grabs Brad and Brad turned around and punched him right in the face um, and the security did nothing. <laughs> they just were like, oh, let Brad handle it. And he did. It was, it was very impressive. <laughs> True story. I saw it happen. It, wild. There's something about, I, yeah, wow. Okay. And you actually. Uh, uh, I have lots of stories. I have a lot of stories. Did you really own Most, a fondue restaurant in Queens when you were 17? I did, yes. Most of which I can tell. <laughs> There's some I, I don't feel comfortable telling um, without harming anyone. but. Uh, Yes, I owned a fondue restaurant in Queens when I was 17 years old, and it became a very popular cocaine den <laughs> in my mood. And uh, it was frightening, frightening. It was meant to be oh, a well. family restaurant, but no one wanted to eat fondue in Queens. And we happened to be in this odd pocket uh, locationally where sort of these several towns met and we became chocked. Our clientele, our bar clientele, and our bar was awesome. Our bar clientele was all these sort of early 20s, early you know, to mid 30s, gangsterish Queens guys. And um, they just took over and we needed their money. We, we filed for bankruptcy. Uh, about a year and a half in, and we needed to stay open through bankruptcy to pay our creditors off, to make deals and settle with our creditors. And so 
the only thing that kept us open was our bar business. And it just so happened they were all Coke heads and they ended up selling Coke in my bar. And it was just a nightly, and we were open till five in the morning every night. You know, it was, it was New York City, 1990s. It was just insanity. And I was 17, 18, 19, 20. It was four years of insanity. And eventually- And we you closed. yourself do not indulge, I gather. Is that the- I, I've never done cocaine because of that. I saw what it could do and I didn't like, I knew I'd love it. I knew I'd, <laughs> I knew I'd love it. Uh, and I just <clears throat> thought, well, I'll die. So there's, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's that. And then, uh, I'll be one of the dead ones. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild thing to watch. Our restaurant closed uh, New Year's Eve 2000 when a, a local DJ felt threatened at a private party in our back room and wielded a machete over all our guests and they responded by rioting in the restaurant, destroying our kitchen. And so uh, this fondue restaurant, this Coke Den fondue restaurant ended in a riot. I was there. <laughs> Happy New Year. Uh, well, for more stories like this, you can follow David on Twitter. It's, it's a great account. And, all and for all you're like, for all you're like, I don't reply to people like, anymore. I... I was so entertained by him one night. I just tweeted out David Crumholtz has to come talk movies with us. And 10 minutes later, it's like, Hey, I'm in. So yeah, let's do it. sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes you spend a year and a half going through their people, but, uh, which is ridiculous. Uh, so. Joe Dante is, I mean, that's, a, I'm a huge fan. I grew up. It's Joe Dante. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I actually had to ask Joe, we were talking about this earlier. Cause like he's, he's also, I said, wait a minute, you guys, have you ever worked with him? He's like, no, I have not. But that's, that's kind of crazy. Cause, uh, I feel like you would have intersected, but next time, um, next time, but what next life next <laughs> movie. Um, but yeah, David, so, so I don't even think I told you this, but we never tell Joe what we're going to discuss. Cause um, I don't know. It's just fun that way. Uh, do you want to tell Joe what you're, uh, what you're going to walk us through? Do I want to There's tell Joe what, theme I, here? what we're going to do? We're doing eighties uh, comedies. Yeah. There you go. 1980s yeah. 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 Some of his, favorite there were a lot of those um there were there were quite a few it was the 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 heyday the the renaissance or the really the it was incredible um he's got a nice sort uh, of diverse list here i think uh, you're gonna love some of them i have have a nice list get into a fight with them over one or two of them you know i I just want to say uh one of yours is on my list um and I, i i tried to I saw, so my dad, uh, my dad who's passed now, my mom and dad were divorced when I was two years old. My dad had weekend custody of me and he was a mailman in New York city and he couldn't afford to do much with me. And he also didn't know what to do with me. So he took me to every eighties comedy. I saw everything at an early age at inappropriate ages. Uh, I saw everything. So much so, I'll tell you a quick, another quick funny story that I'll probably share on Twitter at some point. But my dad was so naive. We were walking through New York City in Manhattan, I should say. And he said, hey, you know, what are we doing? I said, I don't know. He said, you want to see a movie? I said, yeah. We passed an independent movie theater on 2nd Avenue. And he saw a poster uh, outside of the film, uh, outside of the theater for the film that was playing, which featured Anne Bancroft. And my dad flipped. He loves Anne Bancroft. He loved Anne Bancroft. He wants to see this film. We should see this. If Anne Bancroft is in this film, we should see it. So we buy tickets for the film and we go to buy popcorn prior to it. And the young attitude lady behind the counter looks at my dad and I and says, I don't think this movie is appropriate for your son. And my dad says, oh, no, he's very mature. He's fine. We go in to the theater, the movie begins, and it begins in a gay sex club. It's, it's a film called Torch Song Trilogy, Harvey Firestein's, you know, debut. And, my da- and I'm nine, yeah? And my dad is, it's slowly dawning on both of us that this film is, you know, has, you know, is about homosexuality and aid, the AIDS crisis and, and that we're the only 
I'm the only child in the theater. And my dad loses his mind. And I say to my dad, hey, I think this is, and he's like, yeah, we got to get out of here. And we left. And the funniest part was on the way out, my dad felt he needed to explain himself to that woman behind the counter. <laughs> and he stopped and said, I didn't know it was that kind of movie. I'm sorry. And he was really nervous. Anyway, so just to give you an idea, I've saw, I've seen everything in theaters. I saw every 80s comedy in theaters. Well, that's the way to see them. So that, that's in theaters. That's pretty much my laughing. exact. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's, that's my exact experience, except for the 70s and, and yeah, wildly inappropriate movies. So where should we start? Should I start with the, should I rank these or how do you just want me to I list just, a bunch? I just do them in order. Well, just, just, let's, let's start at the top. Talk about the first. Well, let's like, start, you want to start with, with uh, my favorite of Joe's films, uh, which is Inner Space. Brilliant movie. Martin Short, Martin Short, Dennis Quaid. Absolutely blown away by Martin Short in that film. And Dennis Quaid, to be honest. I had seen Dennis Quaid, I think Enemy Mine either came out prior to or just after. And, and I remember thinking, oh, Dennis Quaid is like this really charismatic, captivating movie star. But I didn't know he was so capable of being funny. And uh, I had not seen him in Jaws 3 or whatever, whichever Jaws, Jaws he's in. Four. Jaws, it's Jaws 3. Yeah, The one he doesn't talk 3. about. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, But I, I love that film. And you have... Um, so many great uh, people in it, um, and and uh, and yet yeah, the cowboy who is Bob um, uh, Picardo, uh, who I ended up getting to work with briefly once. So I was uh, so funny in that film. And um, if you haven't seen Inner Space, my God, uh, why are you watching a Joe Dante podcast? You have to see Inner Space. <laughs> it's that's, it's that's a qualification. Right. We have to make up for well, all the people funny. who didn't go see it when it came out. <laughs> he keeps saying that. I can't believe that movie wasn't a hit. I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, and I showed the nine-year-old. Uh, and she, I forget what it was that scared her. I think the actual injection moment where Martin Short is injected uh, scared her. She's, she just doesn't like injections. My seven-year-old's not quite ready for it yet, but a classic movie, brilliant comedy. My dad and I loved it. My dad was a tough customer, too. If he didn't want to see a movie, he would lie and say he read a review of the movie and it was bad. And <laughs> he tried to lie his way out of seeing Uncle Buck. And, um, and I fought him on it because I love John Candy. And, uh, and he laughed his ass off at that movie. He thought it was the funniest movie ever. <laughs> So I, I proved him wrong. Anyway, Jungle Buck That's is wrong. not on he my probably list. Did, he probably did read better because that, that seemed to be a thing, especially in that era. Like a lot of comedies, even to today, don't get the kind no, of respect he lied. they deserve. He, lie. he, didn't, he couldn't read. Okay. Because yeah. then you go see it, uh, it would be absolutely hilarious. But before <laughs> you, you should mention, I, do you know about, you mentioned Jaws 3D, which is kind of fun. Do you know Joe's connection to, uh, to Jaws 3D? No. Not Joe, Joe, do you want to? Well, it's not really. Because I, I remember when this, this movie was announced. I was so psyched. It's not really a connection. It was, I, it was supposed to be called Jaws 3 People Zero. And it was a National Lampoon comedy uh, that, with, with Zanuck and Brown. And, and Zanuck and Brown wanted to make a, a straight Jaws movie and keep the thing going. And the Lampoon wanted to, wanted to lampoon everything. And also they wanted it mm -hmm. to be an R-rated movie. And Universal said, no, we can't take our franchise and turn it R-rated. Uh, so there, it was, there were people that crossed purposes, and it, and it didn't get made. So it, it ended up becoming Jaws 3D. Oh, my goodness. Wow, that's so weird. But come on, Jaws 3 People Zero is one of my favorite titles of all time. Kind of amazing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, tried to get, I tried to get that done with Gremlins 2. I tried to use Gremlins 2 People Zero, and they said, no, you that's, can't do that. That's, can't call a movie that. I mean, what? Gremlins oh. 2, you know, you know, I'll be honest with you. Gremlins 2 did not make my top 10 because it's tough to not so, narrow It's 1990, down. that's why. <laughs> oh, well, there that's you the go. only reason. There you go. I, yeah, yeah. There you go. I, seen, I have no excuse. I shouldn't have said anything. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So. What else you got? Um, let's talk about Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. So when I was. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, you know. 
if I saw their names, I knew I was in good hands. If I saw their credit at the beginning of the film. Um, but my favorite thing that they wrote, uh, directed by Ron Howard, uh, Michael Keaton, Gung Ho. Remember Gung Ho? Great movie. Yeah, Michael well, that's Keaton, your- Eddie Watanabe. Wat- Wat- um, absolutely brilliant movie. Uh, hilarious. Heartbreaking in some ways, almost like a comedy drama, but more comedy than drama. And it was my first introduction to Michael Keaton, who I just was blown away by. I just thought, my God, this guy is so special. I could watch this guy do that one thing that he does forever. Like, and that's essentially what he did throughout the 80s. He was kind of him himself, that character, that that sort of sharp-witted, sort of bitter, angry, you know, torpedo comedy guy throughout every movie in the 80s. And then he did Beetlejuice, which was different for him. But for the most part, but even that was the same shtick. Um, And I loved him in The Dream Team, which wasn't too far after. But Gung Ho, I remember Gung Ho was one of the first movies I ever saw. I must have been seven or six. Why my dad is taking me to these movies, I don't know. But I... Loved Gung Ho. So Gung Ho, that, that's my Gung Ho praise. It's funny, were you trying to I mean, there were always, I remember when people were losing their minds and he got cast as Batman. And I remember thinking that's not so strange because there's always a kind of dark edge to him that uh, mm-hmm. uh, was fun. And yeah, I, absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. And it's, look at him uh, now. I mean, he's doing mostly dramas. Yeah. And, but, um, okay. Yep. What's it? What, let's see. I'm looking at my list. All right. Let's talk about. Okay. What's that? You want me to feed them to uh, you? No, or? I got them. I got it here. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to rank these by going through them. So in, in a certain order. So, um, but without actually ranking them. So um, I don't think you can talk about 80s comedies without giving great credit to, to John Landis. Um, you know, John was the king of 80s comedies. He was just the king. Um he directed a ton of classics, obviously. I met him uh, at a dog park. And, you know, he's had a controversial career in his, and, and I won't get into that, but I, he was alone at a dog park and he looked sad. And I thought, my God, th- this is kind of my hero. You know, without, without these guys, this guy's films, there was no blueprint for modern comedy. And so, um, and he made it look easy and it wasn't. Um, and so I told him all this and he was, he was really, really sweet about it. So that made me happy. So, uh, for, for first, um, the three amigos, uh, three amigos, you know, at that point, Chevy Chase is already an established movie star. So is Steve Martin, Martin short. And you could just tell they love each other and they, they had so much fun making that film. Um, two of them did. Yeah, that's what I'm told. That's what I later discovered, which is such a bummer. Um, it was the 80s, baby. And, um, you know, I, I, I just remember thinking it was such a well-put-together comedy, such a, a great story. It had a wonderful three-act structure, uh, played out really, really well. Martin Short is so funny in, in it as a little Ned Nyerson. And then, and then you've got uh, Steve Martin, of course, and, um, you know, uh, the, the guy who plays El Jefe, God, I don't know his name, but great actor. He's hilarious in it. Uh, Tony Plana, uh, is in it as, as El Jefe's like right-hand man. And he, he's so funny in it. And, uh, I just was, uh, was blown away by that film. Plus it's about filmmaking. It's about these three movie stars that, you know, don't have a pot to piss in and they decide to go make a real movie in Mexico. It's, it's brilliant. And I, and I love it. And so, yeah. There and you you're, go. and you're at this stage, you're, you're a kid. Are you thinking at this point about um, getting into movies? Was it not like, at all? Just so just but, for the okay. record, not at all. And that didn't enter into my purview until I was uh, until the nineties, until the early nineties. And um, and when you're doing the Mexican with Brad Pitt, are you flashing back to three amigos? A little bit. And- a little bit. <laughs> little bit. This is cool. Um, just a just an honorary mention for a 1990 movie that was probably made in 89. 
that I'm that I'm is not part of my list, but just briefly, I'm just going to say, defending your life mm. is the greatest comedy concept for a film I have ever conceptually on paper the funniest concept and brilliantly done. But let's move on. I just wanted to say that out loud. Um, okay, uh, dirty rotten scoundrels. So. Oh, yeah. You know, who knew Michael Caine could be so broad and do so much comedy? And he really is the straight man in that film, but he has a lot of comedy to carry there. And, uh, and you know, that movie's so wicked and devious and, and so much fun to watch. And it just flows by. There's no clunkiness to it. You know, not to be, not to get on my soapbox, but so many comedies in the last decade, and there aren't many, they stopped making comedies. Um, studio comedies are clunky. They have these clunky logic issues. And, and that was the greatest thing about eighties comedies is they were great stories that were well thought through. And the fact that they were so well thought through and so logical made them believable. And you could get away with anything as long as there was no clunky logic issues. And, and there just weren't in these eighties films, they were just brilliant. So, uh, and yeah, that one goes down so well and, and better than the original too. I would, I would, do you not agree, Joe? Uh, yes. I did, I did like the original. Um, and yeah. I, it, Brando is very funny in it, I think. Um, but this one, is a, it's, it's more, more of its time. It's also, I just, I love a movie that's got, I mean, I saw it in theaters once. And we're talking, what, now, 20, 35 years? Right. And there are specific, I did something about, I love, I love everybody in it. Uh, Steve Martin, when he's pretending to be the brain damaged Prince Ruprecht. Ruprecht, the monkey boy. Try, is, it, is that it? He's trying to scare away the, and, and, Ruprecht, the monkey boy. I don't know why this goes. And he goes, go to the bathroom and then he just goes at the table. That's, that's the scene. Yes. And he goes, yes, Ruprecht. And then he goes, mm, thank you. And you know, you know, that was, the, that was the second remake and there were, there was, oh, there was really? another one. Uh, there were two others, Heartbreakers and The Hustle, were actually huh. all remakes of of Bedtime Story, which is the original movie. Really? Are they any good? No, they're not not as good. Fourth time's the charm, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's Josh, and we're going to take a quick break from our conversation with the new king of Twitter himself, David Krumholtz, and we would like to thank you for listening to the show. We could not and would not do it without you. And if you want to help even more uh, support The Movies That Made Me, you can join our Patreon. Go to patreon.com, The Movies That Made Me, and uh, help us out about every month or so. We like to give our uh, Patreon listeners special exclusive content that only they uh, get to hear or sometime advanced looks at things we're going to be putting out later. Um, but uh, we do. We love you. We love them. We love everybody. And speaking of people we love, we love Movies Unlimited. So we want to take a moment to thank them and tell you once more about the release of their very first bookazine. Uh, it's called The Movies Unlimited Essential Guide to Star Trek Volume 1, the original series. This would imply there will be more. Uh, the info-packed publication takes a comprehensive look at the TV series that launched science fiction's most enduring franchise and showcases all your and my favorite Star Trek episodes. If you love Star Trek, you're going to love this guide. It's filled with great articles, rarely seen photographs, lots of things you did not know about the original voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So grab your copy at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million locations, and of course, you can get it at MoviesUnlimited.com. You can also find all your favorite movies, both old and new, when you click on their banner on our website at trailersfromhell.com or go directly to moviesunlimited.com. Shop physical media to your heart's content because, damn it, people, every day it gets harder and harder to hold on to your the stuff you buy on streaming. It can just disappear overnight. You never know what's going to happen. If you have a DVD or a Blu-ray, it's yours. You know where it is. You know where to run to when your house is on fire save your movie collection none of the streaming garbage uh you can also sign up to receive their monthly printed catalog with hundreds of movies at great prices shipping is always free on qualifying orders over 50 dollars. so go now to moviesunlimited.com the movie collector's website 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So my next one is uh, The Great Outdoors. Um, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy. What can you say? Um, you know, Dan Aykroyd was so accessible as a, as a lead in a comedy. And in this film, he plays such an obnoxious, uh, uh, gregarious asshole. And... And, and it's so touchable and feelable as a performance that you really feel awful for John Candy. You just feel awful for the position that Dan Aykroyd puts him in throughout that entire film. The moment, of course, the climax of, 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 that, um, uh, of that suffering is, is when he has to eat the the old uh, 96er or whatever. I think it's called the old 90s at, at, at Paul Bunyan's uh, steak restaurant where he has to eat. He has, he, he decides to, or Dan Aykroyd enters him into the contest to eat the world's largest steak. And um, he eats it. <laughs> and there's only fat and gristle left behind. And everyone in the, you know, everyone's cheering for him in the restaurant and he's half dead from eating this thing. And, uh, he thinks he's done. And the, the guy who runs Paul Bunyan's place, he's got this big, the blue ox, that's what it was called. He's got this big beard and he goes, Oh, you're, you thought that was that you're not done. You've got to eat the gristle. And, uh, <laughs> that scene is so funny, but, um, the two of them together, brilliant. I love Dan Aykroyd. I'll always love Dan Aykroyd. Um, I wish he was in more things. Uh, I think he's a great actor. And, you know, the, the, the tragedy of John Candy, sadly. But, you know, I, I, looking back on it, I, he left so much uh, impactful comedic work uh, behind. And, and I just love John Candy. And so it's not tragic in a way. It's kind of wistful and lovely. Um, so yeah, was was SCTV one. a little too early for you, or did you ever go back and yeah, a little too early? It? And really, my first exposure to SNL was the year they tried to save SNL by putting Billy Crystal on it and Martin Short and Harry Shearer. They tried to like reboot it in a way because it wasn't doing well. It was after a rough year. It was like the 1985 or 86 season. Um, right. Yeah. So okay. Moving on, let's talk about Raising Arizona. Um, you know, uh, what can you say? You know, you're a kid, you're used to seeing a certain type of comedy. Um, and, and these guys come along and just sort of rewrite the tone of popular comedy in one film. They completely shoot and rewrite the tone. And you know it when you're watching it. You've never seen a comedy like that before. Yeah. Um, it's out there. It's weird. And tonally, you know, it's a predecessor to films like Napoleon Dynamite that somehow work, you know, that are more about the, you know, comedy. I, I find uh, that you've got to cut comedy really cut those corners really tight. You know, there's no space in comedy there between dialogue choice you know between lines um faster is funnier and here was these two guys going let it breathe a little bit and let the breath of it be the funny part forget about what's in the dialogue mm -hmm. let let the audience's interpretation of the strangeness mm -hmm. of the tone be the joke you know let you know you know play with their expectations and Obviously, the Coen brothers are arguably the greatest filmmakers of all time. And, and, you know, just their body of work, the fact that they can go in and out of drama and heavy drama and, 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 and broad comedy, um, just, just mind-blowing. And I remember seeing that in theaters with my dad. And I remember my dad hated it. 
my dad couldn't wrap his head around why it was interesting or funny. And I knew at the time that I had watched something so wonderfully different and it was a breath of fresh air. So yeah. you, um, I, I recently experienced, do you have kids? I do. I have a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. Have you seen Raising Arizona since you had kids? <laughs> no. It's so interesting because I, I did recently and I sat there and it reads, you know, you sit there now learning the secret language of parents and you're like, oh, this is a movie. At least one of these guys is writing this movie because he just had a kid. It's just all about the shit you go through. It's everything you ever knew about diapers and every anxiety you have as a child. And and watching it again, I was like, God, I love that. I love that you can. And then I went back and I looked up and it was like, they hadn't had kids yet. Right. They had no children when they made it. They just, they knew all this stuff. They were tapping into all these like uh, you know, dark anxieties. That's where yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's where I came from. Their, their fear of having children. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. All right. Um so okay. Uh let's see. Um I got a couple left. Let's go with uh yeah, let's go with Broadway Danny Rose. So I I don't think you can talk 80s comedies and not give any credit to Woody Allen and separating his art from his personality is a whole thing, and I understand that. But uh, Broadway Danny Rose is his broadest comedy, uh, and he is at his broadest in performance in that movie. And it's gut-busting, you know? It's, it's, it's quintessential neurotic Woody Allen, but, but, he, but, you know, with a twist that he's this sort of, you know, uh, salesman, this hustler, and, but he happens to be an agent, and he believes in these terrible acts that he represents because he has no choice you know, in a way, his personality has manifested these weird acts to come to him and, and, and just the trouble he gets into. And, and there's just this one moment in the film when all else fails and nothing really fails in that movie. It's a great movie. But when, when they kidnap him on the street and he's holding, a, he's holding a shopping bags uh, full of groceries and they kidnap him, they grab him. The mafia guys grab him. And the physical comedy in that scene is so deliberate. It's, it's certainly not, you know, it wasn't a mistake. And you get this sense that, wow, Woody Allen just knows why every bone in his body is funny and how to make it work. Just the, the struggle with the groceries and the groceries are going all over his head. And, you know, you just know... Oh, there's a there's a there's a guy who's watched a lot of Marx Brothers and understands exactly what to do with his body and uh, and I, I'm not going to lie I, I I do I do that you know I've I've robbed that um, I don't think you can be a Jewish kid from Queens growing up in the '80s and not be influenced by Woody Allen you just can't and the wraparounds and the delicatessen. Uh, are, yeah. it's, oh, it's yeah. one of the reasons the picture is so great uh, because mm -hmm. all those comedians, all of whom were real, uh, all right. talking about Danny as if he's a real person and going back <laughs> and forth and, and, and telling jokes and telling stories about him. I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful. Yeah, you feel like you're there with them. Um, and it's just totally engrossing. And the fact that it's black and white, there's something just really, you know, classic and, and classy about it. I, I just love that film. It's, it's yeah. the funniest yeah. Woody Allen film, in my opinion. And that's saying a lot. Um, okay. And it's funny because he, he kept doing that where there was that whole period where people were freaking out about how serious he was getting. And then. Right. Well, he was making pictures like shadows and fog, you know, which were kind yeah. of. Well, like, I guess like interiors and September and movies like that. Yeah. But then every so often he'd make something that, like Zelig, yeah. which is a, a brilliant yeah. movie. And listen, you know, he went out strong. I mean, not that he's done, but you know, Deconstructing Harry is hilarious. And Man Manhattan Murder Mystery is really fun. Well, he's done in the yeah. sense that you can't see the movies. <laughs> you can't see them, yeah. Yeah, um, that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah, I tend okay. to, listen, somebody said, I was talking to somebody who was saying, they said, the thing you just have to like learn to accept, not me, I'm some, I mean, I'm fine with this. I suspect where I know Joe is, I suspect you are. I'm just, but it's like pretty much any art created over 
10 years ago. You just have to accept that, like, if it was created by a man, he's a pervert. If it was created by a woman, she's deeply weird. Like, yeah, it's like, cool. Yeah, I don't fine. Know if that's true, but uh, I'll, I'll, you know, whatever works. It's true. And it's true enough that, like, I just, I, I can't get behind the, like, I'm like, look, I, I, you know, uh, I probably wouldn't work with him and I wouldn't go to a dinner party with him, but I watch Chinatown every year and it's one yeah, of the right. greatest movies <laughs> ever made. And I, I don't feel that I'm enabling anything awful by doing that, you know? Yeah. No, you can still watch the movies, you know? Yeah. They are expressions of our better selves anyway. Yeah. It's just tough. You know, I think with, in just to one last thought on this is that Woody being the actor in the films, you know, people hold actors. You notice how rock stars never get me too. I'm like, yeah, the fact that Led Zeppelin still walks this earth with their but actors are meant to emulate humanity, right? That's what we expect them to do. So we're very taken aback when they do something that that we find immoral. And and so in that case, if he just directed the films that you know, then maybe he wouldn't have gotten so much crap. But uh, we all related to Woody Allen. Yeah, I think that's it. Is there's that connection? Yep. Yeah. All right. Top three. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna rank. Okay. I'm gonna go Ghostbusters two. Ooh. And the reason I go Ghostbusters. Wow. Yeah, choice. Now this. Wow. Now we're talking. I'm not saying the best. I'm saying my favorite. And I just remember seeing right. Ghostbusters yeah. two in theaters. In full disclosure, Ghostbusters one. I was five years old when I saw it. It was too scary, and I ran out of it. It just <laughs> oh, got there. You scary. go. Okay. You could have gone so next door and seen Gremlins. <laughs> that's right. Which I did. By the way. Have you? Gremlins was also. Have you gone crazy. back to it? Have you gone back yeah. to Ghostbusters? Oh, yeah. I assure you, it's not a scary movie. You'd be okay. But I think Ghostbusters Two is a better comedy. It's a funnier comedy. Um, there's some brilliant stuff in it. It's it's. It's not the most logical thing. It's not the, you know, they, they take over the Statue of Liberty and walk. I get it. There's almost a fantasy element to it, but it really works. It's wonderful to see them back together. Now they have total assuredness. They're confident. They're making the second one. They took their time. It wasn't immediate. It took like a few years for the second one to get made and put out. And they're putting in their best, you know, effort. And to be honest with you, the movie is stolen. There's amazing performances in it. Everyone's funny. Murray is uh, beyond great. Like he is in everything. But there's a performance in that movie that steals the movie. And and I just remember as a kid it being wildly impactful on me. And that is Peter McNichol's performance as Janos Poha, the museum curator. I just thought, here's this guy. And I had seen him in, in other things. And I said, oh, they're letting him do an accent which, you know, they don't let you do anymore, barely. And um, it's not PC, I guess. But they're letting him do this. He, he rocks it. He's so outrageously funny in that film. And I just remember, he made the film for me. Um, and he's mm-hmm. not one of the Ghostbusters. And he's the, he's the assistant to the bad guy. But good Lord, he's funny as hell in that movie. And uh, I made me fall in love with him. And I've luck, been lucky to work with him uh, a good few times quite intimately. And, I, and he himself is a wildly funny person. And so, uh, and he was, when I first met him, I was 15 on Adam's Family Values, which he's in. And he's very funny in that movie too. And I, I, I just exploded with all this dialogue from Ghostbusters 2 on him. And he was blown away that anybody cared, that anybody knew, much less this 15-year-old kid. Um, but that, that performance is legendary in my opinion. So oh, I that love that you had that experience. Cause I love it very early, like very early in my career. I, I wrote a, I, uh, I wrote a movie for, uh, Mark Lester who had directed among other things, Commando, which I think is one of the greatest movies ever made. And it's like injecting the eighties into your vein if you watch it. And, and when I first met him, I just couldn't stop doing Arnold lines. You know, remember Sally, I told you I'd kill you last. I lied. And uh, he, he told me later I almost didn't get the job because he was so disturbed by my <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, we could – They get the pillow 80s. for my friend. He's dead tired. I mean, talk 80s. You could do a thousand old Schwarzenegger movies, but 
God damn you, Cohagen. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the best. Um, okay, top two. Uh, number two for me of all time is Midnight Run. Yeah. Um, yeah. Martin Brest, uh, De Niro, Grodin. Who knew De Niro at that point? I mean, you'd seen him. He'd done the King of Comedy, and you see him sort of play this awkward, creepy comedy guy. But really, who knew he could do grounded, very, very real physical comedy and comedy and, and, and hold his own and almost, I hate to say it, Trump Grodin a bit, who's so funny in that movie. But the two of them together, the chemistry is through the roof. Perfect. And yeah. all De Niro has to do in that film is react naturally to this annoying guy and be this kind of hardened you know, bounty hunter. That movie is a riot from start to finish and it holds up. And I can't wait to show it in that movie. It's a very, you know, filthy movie in terms of language. And I can't wait to show it to my kids one day. But God, that movie's funny. And De Niro is absolutely brilliant. And so, you know, you, you weigh the De Niro performances in your mind. And, you know, with any great actor, you know, you, you do the same and you go, well, they never really were able. A lot of drama actors can't do comedy and a lot of. And what's crazy about De Niro is he is the most dramatic, most intense most animalistically scary actor on earth. And yet he can do a comedy like midnight run and be the funniest thing in it. Um, and that's saying a lot because Joe Pantoliano is crazy funny in it. And, and Grodin, of course. Um, yeah, just, just incredible. I love that movie. I remember seeing it in theaters with my dad. It was super dirty. I couldn't believe my dad took me to it. And, uh, and I, I, we were screaming, my dad and I were screaming, laughing in that film. It's just, and also just credit, credit to Martin Brest, who clearly let them improv and clearly let them overlap each other and just argue on screen. There was no, you know, it wasn't anything like, you know, say your line, say your line, say your line. There was nothing rehearsed about it. It felt very real and, and, uh, and, and just, just brilliant. So midnight run. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Groden was a, was an actor too. I mean, he was, he was yeah, right. just a funny guy. So yeah, he could, he could hold his own and, and yeah, that movie was such a revelation because it wasn't, I think there was a little fear when I first heard that De Niro was going to do a comedy. You were like, oh no, <laughs> like a real one. King of Comedy is very funny, but it's not, it's a Scorsese not film still in its heart. Yeah. And um, yeah, and and yeah, and I think I expected also from that era that it would be that kind of heightened cartoonish comedy that everything else was. And it, it, mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, it's great. It's a great road trip movie. You know, it's yeah. a great road trip comedy. Just and so I watch it every couple of years. You're like, this seems so goddamn simple. Like how, yeah. how is it hard to make a movie like this? This seems like the simplest thing in the world. And somehow it's not, it's uh, yeah, nearly perfect. I love that film. And finally, so this one is, was shockingly filthy. There's boobies in it. So when my, and this, it came out in 1989, so I was 11. My dad should not have taken me to see this film. However, there's a backstory. So one day, my dad and I, uh, we go to a, yet another movie theater. So I grew up in Forest Hills, Queens. There were four movie theaters in just that neighborhood, which was great. There was an independent movie house. There was another independent movie house. And then there, were, there was... There was two, you know, bigger theaters. One had two movies and the other had eight. You could see anything at any time. It was incredible. I got very lucky. And it's, it's part of the reason why I think a lot of really interesting people come from the boroughs of, of New York and also from New Jersey is there's just a lot of movie theaters. There were just a lot of movie theaters. It was a thing to do. And there was one outside of our neighborhood in the next neighborhood over in Elmhurst, Queens. And we would go there because once in a while they would play something that wouldn't be playing in our local movie theaters. And there was a Wendy's across the street. And one day we were like, hey, let's go to Wendy's and then go to the movie. And we show up and the Wendy's is not a Wendy's. It's a McDowell's. And I'm just like, oh, what? and we're both like, and our first thought my dad and I were was how can they steal McDonald's 
Like, how can they do this? It's got the arches, McDowell's. How this this can't be real? And we go to the door. It's on a Saturday, and we try to open the door, and uh, a guy comes out whose job it was to just watch that set. And he says, oh, no, we're filming an Eddie Murphy movie here. So when I was 11 years old, I thought, my God, we've got to go see this movie that we were on the set of, you know, that shot in my neighborhood. It's about Queens. John Landis, Coming to America is, in my humble opinion, the funniest, the the note for note, hit for hit, funniest film of all time. You want a gut bust laugh. You want the best of, of, of black comedy. You want Eddie Murphy at his most versatile, amazing makeup effects where he could do all this stuff. Arsenio Hall and, and Frankie Faison and, 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 and James Earl Jones, an amazing cast. Um, that movie is so funny. In every frame, I've seen that film 150 times. It's my favorite film, uh, and wow. it's rare that it's rare that a comedy is someone's favorite film. I just think it's a perfect comedy. You you don't want it to end when it's when it's over. You're like, where's the? Wh- wh- I would do this again. Let's go do it again. They made a sequel a few years ago. They shouldn't have. That's besides the point. But Landis again going into you know a whole nother world for him, you know, this white director, you know, shooting this very Afrocentric movie, um, but obviously letting Eddie Murphy sort of run wild with it and do what he wants to do and, and be as funny as he can be. Um, it's not a highbrow comedy. It's not intellectual. It's not extremely um, uh, clever. It's just gut bustingly funny. It's and and to me, uh, it's all you want. You want to just laugh. At the end of the day, you want a story that's intriguing, and you want to laugh as much as possible. And I remember sitting in that movie theater with my dad. And every time I've watched it since, as an adult too, but as an eleven-year-old, just being blown out of my seat at how funny and how much I was screaming laughing. Um, and my dad too, we just loved that movie. So that's my number one. I think coming to America is just a perfect comedy. Um, and, and, I, and I, how old, when, when are you going to show that to your kids? What age? Oh, we're talking 17, 18. I'm obsessed with stuff like that now. We're like, yeah, you saw it way too early and, and it, it's fine. You're fine. Well, there's no, sexual, wanna... there's no sexuality in it necessarily. There's just a moment. Well, there's a little. There's the moment where you see the woman's breasts in the bathtub and the royal penis has cleaned your highness. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but besides that, there's not a lot of sexuality. There's just a lot of language. And, uh, yeah. you know, the art of of cursing is, is uh, it's really well done in that movie. It's like the Goodfellas of comedy, you know. <laughs> without the person right right that's that's my list i i two two questions for you before you get out here one one is um i'm I'm gonna put you on the spot just just for have you seen anything like in the last couple of years that that you think kind of rivals some of these or like say coming to america as uh, from a comedy place well i i i you know, comedies need to push the envelope. You know, that's the hard thing about comedy is they can't, they have yeah. to find a way to reinvent. You can't do something retro, you know, with dramas, you can sort of call back to a time and, and have that be the, the draw of it and the brilliance of it. You know, even with action films, you know, you can kind of hint at things, but with comedy, it has to be new. And, uh, you know, the last I mean, Anchorman is something that, you know, really blew me away. But um, if if you're going to find comedies, it's in, for me, they're in, in independently made, you know. Well, it hasn't been that, like, that funny last couple of years. <laughs> right. I mean, they're not making them. And, and studio comedies have really gone in a weird uh direction i love a movie i'm in but it's a it's 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 a cheat in a way because it's an animated comedy uh but i love i love sausage party 
I think you need. Oh yeah, that was- I think I think it's the only movie you should have a drink and maybe smoke some weed prior to watching it. <laughs> but that movie's brilliant. My, you're gonna. I have yeah. to tell you, I my 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 wife is from California, uh, Encino. Her mother is a sweet little uh, old Jewish lady from Encino, a former nurse, retired nurse, and she and a bunch of her lady friends a couple of years ago, God knows what information they were going off of went to see sausage party in the movie theater. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, they like sausages. They were completely, completely and utterly traumatized by the experience. You know, it's funny. I, I went and saw it. It's a cartoon. I went and saw it in a theater once and there was a, a, a man that walked in with his child and they had no idea. And I had to stop them. And I told them, I said, you've got to leave. You've got, you've got you know, <laughs> I didn't feel, as a representative of the film, I didn't feel it was right to let them sit there. So I, I told them to leave. Yeah, um, It's just, that was one of the funniest scripts I've ever read by far. Um, yeah. And it's it's one joke, but God, that joke has has uh, <laughs> legs to it. And, and so do the hot dogs. And it's funny as hell. So, I just, Yeah, to me, there's, there's as funny as the movie is, the funniest thing about it is I just try to envision my mother-in-law and her friends sitting in that theater <laughs> and... Is beautiful. And then the other thing, I want to go back briefly, just really quick to Ghostbusters too, because it's really interesting when you were talking about Peter McNichol, I was like, and I know you didn't sort of come to all this much later, but in going back, do you kind of like, did, did you have it? Cause that's a kind of character that, that you, you seem to kind of gravitate towards to some extent, just like not, not the specifics of it, but that great supporting character actor who's often I hate to do this to you on the show to your face often walks away with the scene, if not the whole film, but just that kind of thing. Do you think there was something inside you that was like seeing a, a brief burst of recognition of your future? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, um, and later on it made me discover people like Peter Laurie and, and mm. you know, the idea that a character actor could do in his or her efforts to support the lead actor and make the story work could walk away with the film in a sort of dignified way by accident, haphazardly, um, by being so present in that role and, and the freedom of not having to carry a film as the lead and, and what that, what that can, what that can bring. And, and character and actors who can do voices and accents and and change themselves in range, yeah, that was totally inspiring. And I saw all of that in Peter McNichol's performance. I did um, I did a, a series. I created the only thing that I've ever had produced that I created was uh, a show I did for the FX network. I'm sorry, not FX. What am I talking about? For the IFC network, which no longer exists, probably because we put it out of business. But I played a 76-year-old woman in four and a half hours of prosthetic <laughs> makeup. And we did eight episodes of this show called Gigi Does It. And you can find it on Amazon. Shameless plug, I know. Oh, wow. But um, in it, I got to escape into this character. And Peter is actually on one episode. He's very funny on it. Uh, but it's it's kind of a hybrid reality show. It's like scripted reality or reality scripted. I don't know. Um, but I'm very proud of it. and. Um, and it's the most sort of character immersion I've ever tried. And it was easy because I was wearing four and a half hours of prosthetic makeup. It was easy to become. That's you? Sorry, I'm just looking it up. I'm like, yeah, that, I me. don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a riot of a show. I'm very proud of it. It flew drastically under the radar. Um, no one saw it. No one knows it existed. Uh, which is tough. It was on TV and everything. Um, that's what I. That's We're my, about to double your audience, David. Yeah, there you go. When I go, thank you. Yeah, when I go to. Uh, to, to pitch meetings, that's how I pitch it. As I say, uh, I, I, when they say, "So you've never produced before?" I say, "Yeah, I, I, I created a show. It was on TV and everything." Quote unquote. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's on Amazon Prime. It's very funny, and um, yeah, uh, and there's a reason Peter is on it. Not just because we're friends, but because you know he's he's so funny, and 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 he's. He's 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 silently been my my muse, my hero, mm-hmm. the whole time. Um, 
and I love him dearly. And he's one of our most, most sort of undersung people. But then when you see him, like when he was on Veep, he did that arc on Veep, you know, people lose their mind at how funny he is. And he's always been that funny. And, uh, and I love him. So, yeah. Uh, well, David, thank Thanks, you so David. much for doing this, man. I, yeah, I, I need to be great. Um, I, appreciate it. Uh, I know no point. Cause I think it's, it's, it's time has come and gone. No point in mentioning Oppenheimer really, but, um, but Gigi does it. Yes. Uh, and, and by all means, if you're on Twitter, find David, he's like, he's, 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 he's that, he's that thing when you're just like, I gotta get off this fucking horrible app. You're like, Oh, there's this guy. It's, <laughs> um, telling so. Oh, all right. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, thank you so much, man. We, uh, yeah, look forward to seeing what you do next. This was a joy. Thank Thanks, you so Dave. much. I appreciate it. Nice meeting you, Joe. Uh, have a good one, Joe. Joe. The Movies That Made Me is the official podcast of Trailers From Hell, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. We are proud to be part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Learn more at airwavemedia.com. This is Josh Olsen for The Movies That Made Me. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.